listening to Coast to Coast Latino. Rosie Hamlin, also known as Rosalie Mendez Hamlin, the first Latina to have almost a number one hit. It was definitely in the top five back in 1961. The first Latina to perform on American Bandstand. Also the first Latina to be inducted into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. She was 15 when she wrote and sang this song. And as a result, she didn't get all the royalties because she was not of age. And because she was not of age, they did not give her credit for writing the song until she went to court and battled and uh, et cetera, et cetera. It's a very interesting story, Rosalie Hamlet. Uh, let me share with you also that uh, Linda Ronstadt and the late John Lennon covered this song. My name is Adrian Perez. I want to thank you for joining me here at uh, the Wednesday edition of Coast to Coast Latino. We are brought to you by the Vida de Oro Foundation, a 501c3 nonprofit organization dedicated to the arts and enhancing the community. Our sponsors are U-Haul. Uh, before you consider uh, moving or storing uh, any of your valuables, contact U-Haul and check them out. Also, we're uh, sponsored by OIC Tax Services. If you find yourself in a challenge with the IRS, you might want to contact OIC. They are experts in dealing with the IRS. Visit them at OIC.com. I hope all of you enjoyed uh, your different celebrations for Hispanic Heritage Month. Many of them uh, occurred just this past weekend. But we also had some tragedy happen at the national level in uh, the U.S., uh, Judge Ruth Ginsburg, a U.S. Supreme Court Justice, passed away on Friday. She leaves a legacy in fighting for the rights of women, minorities, and uh, others who, who feel that they have been underserved. Uh, she was a unique voice on the Supreme Court, and as a result of her passing, uh, it's created, a, a, I think, a, a deeper division in this country, because now we're seeing the Republicans and the Democrats begin a whole new fight, separate and apart from the pandemic, separate and apart from the Russian uh, investigation, and separate and apart from uh, uh, Donald Trump's uh, impeachment. For those of you unfamiliar with how the federal government works, it works, uh, or it's divided rather, into three different branches. There's the executive branch, which is the president. There's the uh, legislative branch, which is Congress, uh, that includes both the Senate and the uh, House of Representatives. And then the third is the judicial branch. Of the three, the judicial branch is the one that is supposed to be totally independent because their role is to interpret the U.S. Constitution and how it applies to uh, laws, uh, court decisions, etc., 
uh, lower court decisions that uh, that are made across the United States. Judge Ginsburg's uh, passing away leaves a vacancy on the judicial branch, and uh, as a result, we have Donald Trump uh, salivating, rushing to appoint somebody uh, even before the body is warm. Uh, the uh, Republican Senate, which is the body that approves the appointment that uh, Donald Trump will make, uh, they too are salivating at the opportunity to make this appointment. The Democrats are saying, no, let's wait. Uh, let's not make the appointment. Let's wait until after the election because we're only 40 days away from the election. And... Uh, you know, we saw a similar thing happen in 2016 when Judge uh, Justice uh, Anton Scalia also passed away. And uh, the push back then was to have uh, Obama wait instead of appointing a, uh, a replacement to wait until after the election. But then again, uh, President Obama had an uphill battle in making an appointment because at that time, in 2016, uh, the U.S. Senate was controlled by the Republican Party. So even if he made an appointment, I don't believe the Republican Party would have uh, would have accepted it. Because the, the Republican Party continues to be the dominant uh, party in the U.S. Senate today, uh, I believe that they're going to move really fast, and I think that uh, within the next 30 days, we will see a new justice appointed. Now, the Republican Senate has made uh, a strong uh, push to fill all judge appointments uh, that are made by Donald Trump. And in fact, uh, uh, last week alone, they they uh, they voted six new uh, justices to be appointed at different levels, but. The Supreme Court justice is unique in that they're the ones who have the final say-so across the land. So the person that Donald Trump appoints is more than likely going to be conservative, more than likely going to be a female. But the bigger question is, are they going to be impartial enough to be able to make decisions regarding such major issues as uh, Roe versus Wade? Can they make decisions regarding uh, uh, equal voting rights? Um, and there's other challenges that are that are going to be facing the the U.S. Supreme Court over the next year. And believe it or not, it may include whether or not uh, uh, Donald Trump will have to face a trial for uh, tax evasion which is the, the biggest rumor out there. One of the people that uh, Donald Trump is considering happens to be a Latina, a judge uh, currently sitting at a bench uh, in a uh, district bench down in, uh, in Florida. Uh, if he appoints a Latina, that would be a big plus for Latinos. Uh, the bigger question is, will she side with the more conservative judges, or will she side with the liberals, which right now are all women? Uh, 
uh, two women. And uh, this would be the third woman on the bench. There are only seven members on the U.S. Supreme Court. And, uh, and there is a push by the Democrats to increase the, the number to nine. Uh, if Joe Biden wins, and if the Senate and the House of Representatives become uh, Democrat, Democratic-led, uh, more than likely there is going to be nine judges. More than likely there will be nine judges. And two of those judges would have, will be appointed by Joe Biden. So, as you can see, even though the, uh, the judicial branch is supposed to be impartial, uh, it's become very politicized, which is the reason why I share with you that now all of a sudden we find ourselves even more divided than we'd ever been before. And no thank you to both parties, by the way. Both parties have gone to extreme levels. And those of us sitting in the middle, especially Latinos, those of us that are sitting in the middle are asking questions, you know, like, where do I fit in? Because my, my way of thinking doesn't fit the super right nor the super left. And of course, there's the uh, misinformation that's going on out there. In fact, this campaign has probably had the most misinformation ever produced uh, during any presidential campaign. Uh, you have, on one side, you have Joe Biden that's attacking uh, President Trump on his lack of leadership during the pandemic, which I think uh, he has every right to do that. Uh, the question is, is will America fall apart if Donald Trump continues to be president? And uh, the information that's being produced out there says, yes, it's going to get worse. Our economy is going to get worse. There's going to be more deaths as a result of the pandemic. And there's probably going to be a lot more protests and a lot more uh, violence. Okay. On the other side, you have Donald Trump, who is saying if Joe, uh, if Joe Biden wins, we're probably going to see socialism take over the country. We're going to see a lot more riots. We're going to see a lot more violence. And, and Joe Biden is going to not have any uh, uh, borders. And as a result, we're going to have a socialist society. Um, both of those views, by the way, are, are extremes. We the people still control the United States of America. We the people have the ability to tell a president, to tell Congress, the answer is no. And we do that by voting. Yesterday was National Voter Day, uh, and I don't know how many of you were aware of that, but during National Voter Day, the big push was to get as many voters as possible, new voters especially. In California, for example, the number of voters went up significantly, which is really good uh, because now what we're seeing is we're seeing a bigger trend among young Latinos registering to vote and participating in the electoral process. Houston, okay, Harris County, has half a million Latinos registered to vote. That's to give you an idea how many Latinos are, are registering to vote. The bigger question is, are they going to show up? Are they going to actually actually exercise 
their voice. And which is the big push? We need to get all Latinos to go out and vote. My recommendation has been for the last few weeks, you do it in blocks of 10. What you do is you identify 10 family members and friends and you all go together and you vote. But for that to work, each one of you listening, each one of you listening has to go out and recruit 10 people and tell those 10 people to go out and recruit 10 people and so on. If we show up, if we Latinos show up in full force, we are not only going to uh, determine the presidential candidate, but we can actually determine who's going to represent us in Congress. And let me tell you folks, right now, Congress is so doggone divided that they're not representing anybody. And we need to push back and tell Congress the answer is no. You are there to serve us. You are not there to serve yourself. And many of them strongly believe that that's why they got elected. It's a job for them. We gave them that job, though. Okay. And the same way that Donald Trump used to use uh, the word you're fired in, in, uh, in his uh, game show that, she, that he produced on television for so many years, we have a right as voters to tell our congresspeople and the president of the United States, you're fired. And we shouldn't uh, uh, be afraid of exercising that right because that right is given to us by the U.S. Constitution and we as Americans need to exercise that right. So I hope you go out there, take your family, take your friends, and vote on November 3rd. And by the way, some of you can already vote. You need to contact your Secretary of State, your Registrar's Office, find out if ballots are being uh, mailed out. Find out what is the easiest way for you to vote. And make sure that you vote. Okay. And of course, during this pandemic, some of you don't want to go out to voting booths. And I don't blame you. You know, if you have, especially if you have underlying uh, uh, potential for, for uh, getting COVID-19. Okay. Uh, if you decide to go to the uh, voting booth, make sure you wear a mask. Make sure you do your social distancing. Make sure you wash your hands, especially after using the voting uh, booth. Okay. If, if, if you make a decision to vote by mail, make sure you're able to track your vote. And most states have established a tracking system so you can track your vote. So uh, contact, again, your, your Secretary of State or your uh, voter registrar's office and find out if they have a tracking mechanism already set up. If they don't, uh, you can still deliver your, your, uh, your vote using the U.S. mail. Okay. Uh, don't wait until the last minute if you're voting by mail because it, it'll, it, it may or may not get counted. Okay. Don't wait. Make sure you go out and vote. And speaking about voting, <clears throat> this is pretty exciting information, folks. The uh, Foot Locker people, beginning uh, September 22nd, which was yesterday, uh, they are becoming temporary voter registration sites. 
and that includes the uh, kids footlocker that includes a lady footlocker champ sports and uh, foot action uh, uh, locations throughout the US which follows suit with what the basketball arenas announced uh, recently that they too will be voting sites so that means that by by becoming voting sites people have the option of going to vote there uh, it means that uh, more young people are more than likely going to participate in the election process and it also means that it's probably going to increase the total number of vote uh, that voters that we've ever seen before in the US uh, it's really exciting because for a guy like me um, you know to, to to see our communities come together and say hey you know what we need to go out and vote that's exciting because that's the democratic process that's what we are trying to hold on to and that's the reason why we really need to take a look at both parties and ask them very legitimate questions. How are you representing me? How are you looking out for our kids? And will my future be secure with your leadership? These are important questions that we need to ask our representatives. If you're sending somebody to Congress, you need to make sure that they in fact are looking out for you personally. And then we as a community Okay, uh, let me move on to uh, COVID-19. As many of you are aware, we uh, hit a very ugly milestone this week. Over 200,000 people have died of COVID-19. It includes famous people. It includes actors, singers, songwriters. It includes mothers, fathers, grandfathers. And it also includes kids. More recently, Donald Trump has been on this uh, campaign uh, uh, trail telling folks that COVID-19 does not affect individuals 18 years of age or younger. What's interesting is that that's not what he said back in March. Back in March, he, uh, he shared with uh, Bob Woodward in a recording that it was going to impact everybody regardless of age and uh, here we are again being provided misinformation from the president regarding COVID-19 so he's telling everybody look send your kids back to school open up the schools you know, total disregard for the contamination of individuals uh, COVID-19 is nothing to, to, to scoff at and I've shared that with you before it's a very ugly, ugly virus, how it attacks the body, how it attacks the brain. And uh, people who have recovered from the virus uh, are still experiencing many, many side effects. So it's not just the potential for death, it's also the continuance of side effects long after COVID-19 is gone. But we've lost 200,000 people Americans in the last five months under the president's watch and the whole time according to him the reason he didn't push the issue very hard 
back when he found out about it in January because he didn't want to panic the American people. And yet, when you listen to his speeches and he's talking about the potential for Joe Biden winning and the potential of our country becoming socialist and total chaos with with protests continuously going on and on and on. I mean, the, the, the guy c continues to create panic. And yet he's telling us that he had provided information about COVID-19 because he didn't want to cause panic. In the meantime, it's cost 200,000 lives. We lead the world in the number of deaths of, from COVID-19. We lead the world, and yet we're only 5% of the world's population. That tells us that this guy had he taken the thing seriously, had he really managed it, he could have prevented 200,000 people from dying. But yet he claims that because it's only 200,000 Americans who have died, it could have been much worse. Really? That's how you look at things? You look at things as what could have been a lot worse versus what you actually had the ability to do something about? We Latinos, we're still being impacted by this thing. We are still losing a lot of, a lot of uh, relatives. Mothers, fathers, grandfathers, grandmothers, tios, tias, and of course our children as well. This is not good, folks. And uh, in my opinion, that alone tells me that we cannot have another four years of Donald Trump. And speaking about... Uh, another four years, many of you may have become aware that uh, Joe Biden is uh, suffering with Latino voters. A new study comes out and shows that uh, Latino men specifically uh, really aren't sold on Joe Biden. And so Joe Biden has a, has a challenge. He has to explain to Latino men why he would be better than Donald Trump, okay? But to do that, you need to analyze why is it that Latino men are supporting Donald Trump? Latino men are supporting Donald Trump because Donald Trump provided jobs for many Latino men who didn't have jobs, okay? Uh, in addition to that, you gotta look at the generation of these Latino men and also their the country of origin. If they came from a country that was not only filled with poverty, but were socialist countries, they are more than likely going to support Donald Trump. Okay. If they were born here and their fourth, fifth, maybe even sixth generation, their roots are so far removed that they no longer see themselves as Latinos, but strictly as Americans. That's why many times we run into somebody with a Spanish surname and they look at you like you're a foreigner if you're first generation or second generation uh, because they've been here longer, therefore their, their mindset is different. And they too support Donald Trump because, believe it or not, they don't agree with a lot of stances that the Democrats have 
regarding everything from Black Lives Matter to uh, abortion to uh, immigration. And these are things that we need to look at as Latinos, that our diversity is extreme. And the Democrats, for them to come over and say, uh, we want you to support me because I support the following, and and none of those agendas are hitting the conservative Latino's perspective, well, guess what? That conservative Latino is going to vote for Donald Trump because they have more in line with what how Donald Trump thinks and what he says than how Democrats think and what they say. So as a result, you have a lot of men that support Donald Trump. On the business side of uh, things, Latino businesses are still suffering, but many of them are getting uh, some support from uh, major corporations like Bank of America. And uh, there's an investment that's going on that's pushing hard uh, to get Latino businesses back up and running. And there's also another study that says uh, that not only should uh, biz, uh, Hispanic businesses be uh, encouraged to thrive, but that non-Hispanic businesses would be extremely wise to start investing in the Hispanic market, which has a purchasing power of $1.5 trillion. Basically, what this means is that uh, if we were to put the Latino community uh, separate from the United States, uh, the Latino community would have the seventh, seventh world's largest economy. Okay, believe it or not, behind uh, England and right behind uh, California, which is the fifth uh, largest world economy. And speaking about California, Latinos, as many of you are aware, make up 40% of the state's population. It is the most populous group. So where we have wealthy Latinos living in California, we also have a, uh, a large disproportionate number of people that are in poverty. Latinos are, in fact, uh, the largest number of folks uh, in poverty in the United States, uh, surpassing the African-American community, uh, only because of our sheer numbers. We need to fix that. In order to fix that, we need to get our kids a good education. And to get a good education, we need to make sure that our schools are providing what is essential, especially right now during this pandemic, what is essential for them to learn. Uh, it, and that includes providing more guidance to parents. You see, there's a lot of parents who have never taught their kids. I mean, one thing is parenting, another thing is teaching. And and parents need to need to be guided to help that child out. Uh, attention spans are are very very short, especially the younger the the child is, the more difficult it is for them to really focus and stay focused on a particular project uh, 
And then we have a problem, of course, with kids signing off from uh, their online classes, etc. There needs to be guidance from the Department of Education on how parents can best handle this. It's not the first time they've encountered this, okay? Uh, it is the first time that they've encountered it in such a, a, a mass array of, uh, but at least they have some kind of information that they should be providing parents. And parents, if you know your child's not paying attention, call the school, ask for their help, because they are there to help you. The, ch the success of your child is very, very critical. And you know what? If, you, if your child is in a public school and they're not responding, consider t putting your uh, child in a private school. Because quite frankly, it doesn't make any sense for your child not to have a good education, especially with all the tools and resources that are now available to them. Uh, as we continue uh, Hispanic Heritage Month, we also have uh, movies that are being provided through Netflix, through PBS. Uh, we have documentaries. Um, there's books out there. YouTube is filled with many, many uh, videos of Latinos and, their, and the history of Latinos. Uh, for example, the Lemon Grove incident. The Lemon Grove incident is very important because it is the one that set up the the case for uh, uh, the uh, uh, Brown versus School Board decision. Okay, Latinos have been, have been involved in civil rights for many, many decades before the 1964 Civil Rights uh, uh, Act was signed. And I think it's important for us to identify and learn about our history and how we in fact have been pivotal in every component of the development of the United States of America as it is today. You know, Cinco de Mayo, for example, is the one that determined whether the uh, South or the North won during the American Civil War. Let me tell you, ladies and gentlemen, this has been a, a, a wonderful opportunity to share as much information as I can with you. I want to thank you for joining me. Again, my name is Adrian Perez. You've been listening to Coast to Coast Latino. If you want to know more about Coast to Coast Latino, uh, I want to direct you to go to our Facebook page, uh, Coast to Coast Latino, or go to our website, uh, coasttocoastlatino.com, and uh, learn more about who we are, learn more about what Latinos are doing across the United States. We would love to hear from you, so if you get an opportunity, drop us a line at latino at coasttocoastlatino.com. That's latino at coasttocoastlatino.com. And by the way, we continue to expand uh, where you can listen to our podcast. Uh, visit us at our website, and we will be happy to share with you where you can listen to it. Thank you again, and stay safe.